I suddenly had to deal with sales targets. And that was very difficult. That was very difficult. So I had to transition from, from, from a focus on, on people to a focus on money, because at that time it was how many hours have you booked? Because an hour was like 500 euros, 500 euros an hour. How many hours have you booked? What are you going to, it wasn't even about what's this, what's the problem that you're going to solve. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. We are back with Social Compost. I'm your host, Diego, together with my co-host, Shanlu. And finally, we have someone to talk with again. So welcome everybody to wherever you're watching. I think LinkedIn should be good now, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook. So yeah, Shanlu, it's been a while since we've had anybody. How since we had a guest. So is that because we like to talk a little bit about the topics that we like to talk about? I, uh, I, I think that is partially a reason. The, the other side is kind of we've been lacking on the planning, but I, I also think that the other part is an underlying reason why we've been slacking off with guests because the build up on the topics we've been talking about the last few weeks, it's been just been building on each other. and. It, it doesn't die down, the, the excitement, the uh, curiosity. It doesn't, it. it doesn't, it doesn't. So, but, I, I think that's partial. Okay. But I think it's good. We have a very multidisciplinary guest today. So that's of course, also always interesting. I do want to quickly mention people that are listening to the, to the podcast, of course, cannot see it, but we're both in red, hoping for December, not for, not for the market. But I'm hoping for December as well. So today's, today's guest is, I'm trying to figure out how I originally or where I've officially met him first. He might surprise me and tell me if he knows when we officially met, but I do think it's interesting. I'm happy to bring back, bring in a guest that there are a lot of things that there are some similarities. There are of course also differences, but. He's been, well, because he's also a little bit older than I am, he's been a couple of steps before me many times in his career. So I'm hoping today to learn a little bit more on how he made those steps, how he decided to go certain roads. We actually went to the same high school. He actually went to study at the university that I originally planned to study, but I decided to switch later on. And it's somebody who has a lot of experience with working at companies in Suriname, but also has experience with connecting them to outside of our country. So without further ado, let's introduce Ashwin Achaiwazi. Good evening, everybody. Um, good evening, Diego and Shalu. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're really happy to have a guest, Social Confluence again. So even though we say like, we like to talk about certain topics, it's good to have a refreshment. It's good also for the viewers and the listeners to again, have somebody on here who's been familiar, who actually studied abroad, came back to Suriname, decided yeah. to stay, still is, is still here because a lot of people are like, yeah, should I go back to Suriname at the moment? Should I go back abroad to, to look for opportunities abroad? And I think 
you're at this moment, somebody who might be able to give some tips and some tricks on how to live your life here in Suriname, but also understanding the dynamic from living in Suriname, going to study abroad and also coming back before we dive into a little bit into your, to of course your educational background and the things you have done, how easy was that decision for you? To go and study in the Netherlands and actually come back afterwards to Sudan. So once upon a time, <laughs> it goes, it goes way back. There's a little bit of history there because, um, I was born in the Netherlands. I was born in Amsterdam. And when I was three years old, my parents came back to Suriname. And from the years three to 14, I lived in Suriname. I was 14 when I went back to, to the Netherlands to do with my, my sister who just, uh, finished primary school. So my parents thought it would be a good step to go to the Netherlands. So she would go to secondary school in the first class. I was already in secondary school, the same high school you went to, but I made a switch from one high school to another. And I was actually lucky because I had German and French in my packages here at the high school and it helped me so that I could, I could just seamless, seamlessly move into the high school over there. But during our stay there, we came back and forth a lot of times. So I, I grew up actually in both worlds, as well as in the Netherlands, as in Suriname. So if you're talking about coming back and adapting easily, that was not uh, a big problem for me because growing up 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 into my twenties, I also saw the developments in Suriname, the developments in the Netherlands, my own development and how I would cope with everything in the Netherlands and I would, how I would cope with everything in Suriname. So it was uh, basically a parallel experience for me. So I didn't have very much, a lot of, a lot of problems coming back to Suriname. You've been in that fortunate, I guess it's called situation position to have mm -hmm. experienced both from a young age and many people don't have that. And. I think the reason Sean look asked that question is specifically for those people that kind of aren't fortunate. They have to either make the decision, look aside from applying or trying to get into another country. They need to look for resources, arrange a lot of paperwork. They need to have someone there accountable for them, uh, especially at that young of an age, if you're a student. So. I assume you've also met a lot of people like that being yeah. in, in the Netherlands, you know, because there are a lot of uh, people. What have you noticed, uh, so, in their situation that was maybe different from you or that surprised you on how they approached it differently from you? You know, what's, what's beautiful in, in, when you're studying in the Netherlands at, at one and, and also at the bigger universities or, or other educational institutions is that. The Surinamese people tend to flock together. You know, they, they, they notice each other and they flock together. So I was in a, in a program with 30 nationalities, international business administration, but still uh, you would, you would see other people and you would know they're from Suriname and then you would get to know each other and, and, and check up and, and what's your history and what's your history. And what I found is that I was living there with my parents. So I was not a student who came to Holland alone and had to cope with everything alone. One of my best friends had that. He was also in a privileged position where his parents were able to, let me state it another way. His, his father already owns a property. So he was able to stay there and he got all, all his finances were, were there every end of the month. So there were no problems in that area. But what we saw in our situation and the situation where 
students who would come from Suriname specifically to study was very different. We were a little bit carefree with, with everything that we did, extracurricular activities, sports, skipping colleges sometimes, you know, going to parties, middle of the week, weekends. We didn't, we were carefree because everything was there. And what I saw with students who were um, specifically coming from Suriname, there was a great deal of them, a large percentage was very disciplined and very focused on getting done what they came to do there. And at the end, they would make the decision, am I going to stay or am I going to go back? But in the, in the, the, during the duration of their studies, they were overly disciplined, man. It was all about getting the grades and passing the classes and, and finishing it up so that they can move on because they were of course aware every time, every day I spend here is a day extra in finances, a day extra of missing my family, everything around that. So there was a big difference in, 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 uh, between the students, um, who were just coming there and study and people like me were living there or where everything was, was basically a region, maybe even too easy. I can, I can say that. It's interesting you bring that up because I think most of us, like when Suriname students go to study abroad, if you're going to go for your master's, say you have your bachelor's in Suriname and you're going to go for your master's in, in, in the Netherlands. For sure, you're just going there for the study. Yeah. But like for a lot of bachelors, like in year one, we have to get like or certain certain grades to to yeah. be able to keep studying. Yeah. But once you find out like the festival season, how is he, how easy it's, it is to get to Spain? Like yeah. when you start figuring those things out, like your grades and everything, it just goes down the drain. Even for the most structured student, yeah, it's it's, it's very tempting. You know what played a big role? You know what played a big role in that, Chaluk? You were talking about age <laughs> a little bit uh, earlier. Yeah. But when I was studying at the university, there was no uh, Facebook. There was no what? There was no Instagram. I went to college in two thousand one. So there is there there was like there were like there other hives, hives and MySpace, like hives. yeah, hives and yeah. MySpace. But yeah, but but not the party peeps. There was not how do you call it an information overflow of everything. And people were, were, were a little bit more individualist, individualistic in, in, in that kind of, and they would just tend to, Hey, okay, I can, I can choose to go on an, a social platform, but there was no peer pressure. Nowadays, if you're not on one of the, so if, if you're a professional and you're not on LinkedIn, if you're a gamer and you're not on Twitch, if you're just a person and a millennial and you're not on any social media channel, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> and during that time, yeah. It was not, not a big problem. I, I want to quickly jump, jump in as well, because you mentioned something yeah. very interesting because I know back from my studying days that, yeah, we flocked together. That's one of the reasons Georgia mentioned that, but I specifically chose not to study in Rotterdam to avoid too much flocking. But when it came to holidays or certain days, we would all visit a friend, a student mm -hmm. friend who lived with his family in one of the cities. Mm, okay. Like if it was Christmas and you are not moving, if it was Christmas and you are not going back to Suriname, you would find somebody that you either celebrated Christmas or New Year's with. Yeah. Because that's kind of the, the tradition kind of feeling. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And also a quick shout out to uh, the police to Suleika, who are also joining in on the street. Go ahead, Ashwin. Yeah. Hi, Hatwig and Suleika. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to, to see that 
that we we create a community in, in the Netherlands. I had barbecues over at my parents' place with my friends coming over and people who studied there coming over. And you had the student bodies like Studinama. When I was uh, studying, it was Studinama and they had their annual sports tournament. And then you had the the Bacana party at, at, at in Rotterdam, they would go there. And I, I went to Bacana party when it was a party for like 300 to 400 people. Now it's like, okay, COVID kind of ruined it, but it was a major festival. It, it, it has, it has evolved into a major festival. So those were the events where you would, would come together. And during the, the, the year, you would always go to activities where, where you could meet Surinamese people. In addition to other interesting adventures you would, you would, you would be able to do, because when you're in the Netherlands, as you said, basically Europe opened up for you. So you're, you're, you're able to go easily to a lot of other places. The Netherlands itself has a lot to offer. So yeah, it was very interesting. It was, a, it was an interesting period. We got our first question here to go into that part of, you know, your education and school. So quick question from Joseph, what did you get to get good place, good grades, at least bad to get past the exams? So and you, you said the others had discipline. Yeah. I assume I, I'm not gonna, you just tell us what yeah, yeah, you, for you. I have, I have, I would call it the blessing because I'm sitting in a room at my parents' house because, because I'm having internet issues at my own house. And this room has all the books of me and my sister from our college years. And are, uh, some of the books are still in plastic. So my, my blessing was that I was able to study, go to the classes, have a lot of other resources like PowerPoints or, or summaries or syllabus and, and, and all those kind of things, study up on exams and be able to pass them. And the results were, were yeah, very different. Some courses I would pass with an eight or a nine other courses. I would pass barely like 5.5 or six. I had one course from my bachelor years where I actually finished up that exam in the office of, of the professor where I had a whiteboard and I needed to explain the concepts of the material because I was not passing the exam, the written exam. I did the exam like six times and it was the, it was only, yeah, it was the only exam that I couldn't pass for my bachelors. So. This professor had a, a, a model in place where he would call you up and then he would give you a marker and a whiteboard and he would say, we're just going to talk about the material. And at some point we're going to stop talking. And that means you have a six. If you want to continue talking, you could achieve a seven, but it could also become a five. So then he started, okay, explain, explain all these things to me. And then we would talk, I would have to draw and write on the whiteboard. At the moment that that guy said, stop, you have a six. I was professor. It was nice meeting you. <laughs> Goodbye. So <laughs> there were a lot of different classes and it had also had to do with what do you like? What do you have a feel for? Mostly the, the, the business, the business classes and the, the human resourcing, uh, human resource classes, the marketing classes. I ate that stuff up and it was very easy for me to pass. But then you had the other things like mathematics and, and I would be able to pass if I would like really study up, I would, I would be able to get good grades, but my character is not very disciplined in that, in that I'm not, I'm not a person who's gonna three months every day, two hours a day, mathematics, no, that I can't do that. So, and I couldn't talk a little bit about, about that because you mentioned like the type of person. So at what point was it clear? Because there's a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies is also what you studied, but also what kind of, kind of triggers you, what motivates you a lot. 
Yeah. And it has a lot to do with entrepreneurship. Was it almost automatic that you went for business administration? Was it kind of like already set or sold or did you still have to decide which direction you wanted to go? And how easy, the, the real question is how easy was the decision for you to move to Suriname? Because when you moved to the Netherlands, it was kind of like your parents were like, this is about the right time. This is where you should go. And then coming back, like how, how big a factor were, for instance, your parents are, was it something completely else that brought you back here? Okay. Let's, let's talk about the, the choice, the choice of the, of the studies. When I came out of high school, high school there, international business administration was a new program. And it was a, when I, when I was, was going into it, it was the second, the second year that that program existed. And it was the program with, as I said, the 30 nationalities, like people from all over the world were, were in, in, in the programs. Uh, I'm talking about Cameroon, Japan, China, the, the, the Eastern, the Eastern, uh, European country, Russia, Ukraine, and Suriname, of course, and other African, it was, it was a really exciting time. So I knew that while still being in high school, that that is what I wanted to do because it was a business program and I was always, always interested in business and it was an international program. So that was it, but you had to have a, a lottery. It was a lottery program. So during that time, my cousin was getting married in Suriname. So I came back to Suriname and then I found out that I didn't make the lottery. So I switched to the, the same program, but the Dutch, the Dutch version, the normal Bedrijfskunde version of the program. So I think two weeks into my vacation here, my father called me up and he said, I got, I got a message from, from the university and you're back in. What do you want to do? And if I'm back in, I'm going back in. So I switched back. So I went into the international program. So it was very early on that I decided that I wanted to do that program. The choice of coming back to Suriname, there were two, two factors that, or a couple of factors that played a role. I finished my studies in 2009. So basically I was with my bachelor's and master's. I, it covered eight years, but that was also because I was working full-time at two multinationals at that period, finding out that that's not the best thing to do <laughs> when you still have to finish <laughs> your studies. So, okay, but I finished in 2009 and in 2008, the major economic crisis in the Netherlands started. So I actually had an agreement with my manager um, at a second multinational who said, go finish your studies. When you finish, you can come back. But after I finished, he was like, I can't take you back when I'm sending away other people. And I, of course I understood that it, it's, it's, you know, you have an agreement, but it, it's, it's not going to happen. It's difficult. So as I was out of the job, I had saved a lot. I had saved up a, a bit of money, so there was no, no major problem, but, but at a certain point in time, you have to make some decisions and getting a job in the Netherlands was very difficult. We were thinking about me and my best friend, because he was in the same situation about starting a small company. We actually did the first steps, talked to some, some, some companies where we could offer our services, but the economic crisis was, was in such a way that those companies wouldn't take a chance on two boys who just left the, 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 their college. So during that time in Suriname, I had some, some letters and some, some informal talks with people. And one of the companies here had a positive reaction to my, to me approaching them for a job. And it was 2009 and as opposed to the Netherlands, Suriname was in, in a better situation. And I was also always drawn to Suriname and I was, it was also in my, always in my head to come back because I saw Suriname and I still do as a greenfield where you would be able to do a lot 
and develop yourself, but in turn also develop the field you are working in because there is so much to do and there's so much um, that is still open and not not where it should be. So uh, the combination of, of those factors, and of course, my parents were already in Suriname. My sister, she was in the first year in the university. She was already like, when I'm done, I'm going back. So she was also also back. And so that, that all, all also helped. So those, those factors are basically um, the reason I made a choice to come back. So before we go into the different fields you mentioned and the opportunities, you yourself are very active in very different fields of business, but I want to draw a parallel between the economic crisis, 2008, 2009, that you experienced in the Netherlands mm-hmm. and how that kind of compares, because now we, we have a global crisis. But yeah. specifically here in Suriname, we're kind of feeling it double. So how does that situationally compare for you there as a student, you, you back now as a business person here, but looking at how other young professionals, young individuals, how do you think they are interpreting that based on what you've experienced in the Netherlands? Is it like valid to look at uh, so the, the so the, the situation then was different because if you're looking at Suriname in that period 2000 basically 2005 till 2010 was the the last the last period of of president of Finichan. and if you look at the exchange rate the opportunities for companies the cash flow position of a lot of companies was a lot better so i saw a comment pop up hey Suriname was better than the Netherlands yeah because there were in Suriname there were a lot of job opportunities for people who studied abroad at that time. And in the Netherlands, we had flocks of people coming out of the universities, but there were no jobs. So that is basically how Suriname was at that time better. But now Suriname, I don't, yeah, we have a crisis and we have, we have both a financial crisis and, and a, a health crisis. But if I look at, at, at social media or, or other publications in the Netherlands, as well as in Suriname, I can still see that, um, businesses are willing to grow. They are looking for people. There are jobs out there. So yeah, there is a financial crisis, but there are still opportunities. And I understand that, that people are, don't directly see the opportunities and they might need some help in broadening their horizon and, and getting to see what's out there because it's not easy. You know, an opportunity doesn't mean that it will be okay. An opportunity is nothing more than an opportunity. You still have to uh, dive into it, sacrifice, work hard to make a success out of it. So that is basically the difference for heaven. Yeah. Yeah. I have a theory on this one. So I think one of the biggest problems now at the moment currently Mm -hmm. is that, I mean, there are a lot of jobs available for people that studied abroad and got their masters and want to come back. Mm -hmm. I think the only problem at the moment is those people are looking for a salary, of course, they're not going to get the same salary you're going to get yeah, in yeah, the Western yeah. country. But there are at least looking at maybe 1200 euros, a thousand euros a month, yeah, which translated is gets close to 30,000 SRDs a month. And yeah. it's not necessarily that the companies don't want to pay that amount, but it's just that the tax system, especially when it comes to tax for, for salaries, that the system hasn't changed yet. So basically, if, if you want to give that person that kind of salary, the amount of money that the company yeah. needs to make to pay that, yeah. like, it's like, it's not, and that, that together with the fact that, together with the fact that it, 
the Netherlands, it's not like all the jobs are wide open and that you can get any job right. No, 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 no. As well. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. decision to choose whether you're going to fight for a job in the Netherlands and come back here to work for maybe a fifth or a sixth or maybe a tenth of a salary we were going to get there. I think that's what's really kind of. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's basically for the people who are studying abroad and coming back. There's, there's an, an, a major gap in, in the salary you can make in the Netherlands and, and, or any, or, yeah. Well, then let, let's, let's, let's uh, well, keep any that in Western Netherlands. country. Yeah. 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 I think any Western and, country. And at Suriname. But, but if you're looking at not just the high, highly educated jobs, but also the, the lower levels, I actually see a lot of opportunities for lower level, lower level jobs, but there's a mindset problem because my first job in the Netherlands was in a supermarket and I was like stacking products and stuff like that. And in the Netherlands, we use those jobs to have pocket money while we're studying and stuff like that. And what I'm seeing in Suriname, I, I often advised companies to look for students, look, look for people who need extra money to, because they're going to school, maybe in the evening and they need a job uh, during the day, they are better educated. They could, they could help your company in a, in a big way, but we have a problem that those people don't want that, those kind of jobs, you know, those people don't want to stand in a supermarket and stack products, but I did it. And all of my colleagues were, were like high school or university people. It was their first job was like stacking products in a supermarket. I don't know if that has to do where we are as a country, because I'm, I'm, I'm of course comparing a first world uh, country with a third world country where of course the supermarkets also differ. You know, what is a supermarket in the Netherlands and what is a supermarket in, in, in Suriname? But, but still, I think students have a, a way to go here in, in building up their work experience because I had a lot of students in, in, in conversations or job applications where they finished up, finished up school, high school in Suriname, university in Suriname, and they were coming to apply and that would be their first job. But they want, because they have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree obtained in, in Suriname, they would already want a certain level of a salary. So there are a lot of gaps in the job market that you can tie into the educational system, but also in the way we, we run our companies here. And of course, in the way the tax system is being built up. So it's not that easy to one, change the mindset of the students, but also change the mindset of the companies and the government. It's, it's, it's a big job. It's not impossible, but it's going to be it's a hell of a job. Culture. It's a full culture. I, yeah. Many people in the comments are mentioning like Gregory says, like parents lose face if they're, if they're kids, but it's also a mindset problem for, for parents yeah. that they think that they're, 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 those jobs are beneath them. Yeah. That's also a thing. It's, it's very, like a lot of comments, but I'm going to quickly, quickly, while we stroll through the comments, I'm quickly going to talk about. Uh, something because it's something that Joseph brought up, like, how do you get into business coaching? But, but first let's, let's transition from, from this, this topic to, to the business coaching part, because yeah. what I find really interesting is that I think one of the biggest factors is you're learning how to be independent, especially in the Netherlands from a young age, you're learning how to be independent. Yeah. Of course, there's the, 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 the structure, the societal structure. Well, which makes it easier than doing it here, but it's very much like you're, you're learned from a lot young age, what it's to be independent. And one of the things that Greg Lee, for instance, mentioned in the comments is saying like, 
okay, but when you're at home and you don't pay rent, there is no necessity to say like, okay, now I have to get a job because I have to. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think our, our ministry, our minister of, of workforce minister actually said something today that it, it, it flies into the truth. Like it's a mind state thing, but it's also that I think our generation and even the generation that's coming now, that's even going to be more difficult. They want to decide which jobs they do. Yeah. And, and that brings me to an interesting topic because you have a lot of experience. You have experience from a consultancy perspective, helping mm -hmm. other companies, but you've also have a lot of work experience working in different companies like Eagles at different fields. So if you look for yourself, what would you prefer? Would you say like, I'm more of a person that wants to work in a company or more of a person that works on a company? Like why, what's the, what's what are for like, especially for people who've only seen one side of the yeah. side, yeah. what's the yeah. major difference be between working for like a multinational, like having a management, management position or being on the outside, actually being that the company is actually a client for you. So let me start with working in a company. I worked in companies. My first job was in a, in a multinational and I accidentally fell into it because a friend of mine was working at that multinational and said, Hey, start applying because you're, you're in the third year of your bachelor's. You gotta, you gotta learn how it is and experience how it is to apply to jobs and have conversations with people in, in this field. And I said, okay, I will write a letter. So I wrote a letter to that company and I got invited to a conversation. But at that time, that was the, 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 the high time of assessments. Everything was assessments. They were going to assess your analytical skills. They were going to assess how you, how you, uh, your, your psychological, um, up situation and everything. So I did the assessments and the assessments basically panned out very well. And the company wanted to hire me, but the policy of that company was you cannot work there unless you have a bachelor's degree. And I didn't have a bachelor's degree yet. I, I was one year away from my bachelor's degree. But that manager who took my assessment said, you know what? I want, I want you in this company. Do you want to come to work for me? And I was like, I'm not ready. That was not what this is all, this was all going to be about. But then of course, Netherlands, multinational, I was 19 years old, no, 20, 20 years old. And I got the number on a paper, which I was going to make in a month. I got an opportunity to go to Malaysia for work. That was going to be after six months after reaching some, some deliverables. And I saw that, that, that number on the paper and I was like, okay, I live with my parents. I don't have to pay anything. Notice the Suriname situation, but in the Netherlands, and this is the money that I'm going to make. And I was like, okay, I'll come work for you. Not thinking about, Hey, you have a study to finish. You have to write your thesis and everything. So I went to work there and I learned a lot working in a company, you know, working, working within a team having management above you, like middle management and then upper management, having to deal with expectations, which in, in the beginning you would not be able to live up to. But, but my situation was a little bit different because I was, I, I went very fast. I went, I went from a, a support employee to a trainer consultant in six months. But after that, the expectations of that company and middle, middle and upper management like exponentially increased. So like, Hey, we got a guy for, he's, he's 21, 20, 21 years old. Within six months, he, he became a trainer consultant for our company. Boom. We're going to expect this from him. And maybe I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to say that it's, it was a good or a bad expectation, but it was very demanding. 
And I was not able to finish my study, which I wasn't even able to, to spend any time on my studies. So I learned a lot working in companies, also in the Netherlands as in Suriname, because I, when I came back, I worked in a company as well, dealing with, with the directors, with a management team, learned a lot about discipline, about working in a certain structure. Because if you're an entrepreneur and you're only working on a company, you need that experience. And you need it, you need that experience working, working in a certain discipline, working with a certain type of structure, because if you have, if you have not experienced that, how do you bring that into a company you're working on? So I think that it, it, even if it's in, in, in your study phase, work in a company, gain some experience, and sometimes it's not going to be a great experience. It's going to be bad experiences and good experience, everything mixed up, but it will add to your development that would speed up to your readiness to work on a company. So that's basically how I see things. Love your answer. Quickly going through some comments. Yeah. Avian, he says, yeah, people focus on earning the book, big money rather focusing on the experience. And before I go to Gregory's question, you mentioned some, or you said some keywords there in your explanation, like, you know, it, it becomes very demanding and there are certain expectations that people or, you know, managers or company starts to have if you start performing well. And you yourself said you were kind of in a fortunate position, like uh, you kind of went in this bullet train and then this trajectory was like zero to 106 months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a lot of people have that kind of experience. Would you say there is some, that experience is not for someone for who would such an experience not be? I, I know it's a, a bit counterintuitive to what you've just explained, but I, I'm trying to go to the I, other extreme. Yeah, I know what you mean. I was not the only one who went from zero to 100 in those six months. There are some other guys and, but going from 100, uh, from zero to 100 in that company also had different directions. So from, you always started out at customer support. And from customer support, you could grow into marketing, human resources, go into the, 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 the ex expert support system of that company. You know, there are different traject trajectories. And I, I had some colleagues launched into marketing. One of them uh, was launched into expert support and they did great. I was launched into the consulting part. And what was interesting with the consulting part, I suddenly had to deal with sales targets and that was very difficult. That was very difficult. So I had to transition from, from, from a focus on, on people to a focus on money, because at that time it was how many hours have you booked? Because an hour was like 500 euros, 500 euros an hour. How many hours have you booked? What are you going to, it wasn't even about what's this, what's the problem that you're going to solve? How many hours have you booked this month? How many, when, when how many that become detrimental, do you think? It became that it became detrimental very fast for me because I was that was not my focus. I I I loved that job because of the interaction with people and the reaction that that I got when you solve their problems. But that also, and I'm not gonna say that, that that it's good or bad, but in my in my helping people, it that took a, a little bit an amount of time. And me and another colleague of mine, he was a little bit uh, older at that time. He was a bit of, of a senior senior employee there. We all always had this discussion with, with middle management that you guys are focused too much on the, 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 the quantitative time frame of helping a client rather than the, the, the quality of the solution. So it was an interesting experience. It was an interesting experience, but 
it depends on you as a, as a person, as, as, as what kind of character do you have? How, what is your adaptability? And also what was the traje trajectory that you were launched into? If, if you're a very creative person, zero to 100, you went to marketing. Hey, I saw people who did great, man. So it, it really depends on the situation. Yeah, no, very good. And I, I do see that Jean-Luc mentioned, you know, you could get a burnout because expectations and demand shifts. Yeah. Uh, as you said, from customer service, dealing with people to uh, looking at hours, hours, how many hours yeah. do you book? I, uh, I didn't get a burnout, but I, I did bounce into one of the rails at the, at the freeway at 120 kilometers <laughs> per hour because I fell asleep. It was like 11 at night and I was working from seven and on my way home. I fell asleep and I was lucky that the moment that I touched that rail, I woke up. Yeah. Because if I, if I, if, if I would have stayed asleep, we wouldn't have this conversation right now. <laughs> so to transition into Gregory's question. So in the beginning, you are very people focused and you are very, I'd, I'd say easy going, easy to talk with. And then his question is, do you have any networking tip for antisocials also directed to Sean Luke having had that experience? Yeah, I, I was in the, in the beginning, I have an, I have a, a, a very social character that is also being proven by several assessments, but I also have an introvert side on me that I would not easily talk to people that I don't know. You know, if I, if I see you or Jean-Luc at a, at a party or, or at an event, I would come up to you guys. And if you guys are talking to someone, I can easily connect with that person through you. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. My name is Ashwin, you know, but if I just see a person standing there by themselves, even if I know that I need to talk to that person because that person is going to be important for my business. I need to make the first, I have to take the first step, introduce myself. To me, it was still a big, a big obstacle, but yeah, what, what can I say? Just, just take this step, try it once, you know, it's going to be awkward, but try it once for me, practice made perfect. I started doing once then I, then I did the moving through people, kind of, a kind of trick, you know, if I see. Jean-Luc talking to a couple of people, then I would just, Hey, Jean-Luc, how are you doing? Hey guys. And then just join into the con because I join into the conversation. Of course you have to feel out that it's not a private conversation that you're ju jumping into, you know, but I use that trick a lot and just walking up to people and, and going one-on-one -on -one is just, as practice makes, makes perfect. And I made an, 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 an exponential progress when I was at action coach, because you have, you have processes there where you just need to cold call people and, and, and talk to them and, and explain what you're doing, why you're calling them. And I got, I got forced into that, into that, into that. Do stuff. you have a, like a go-to conversation opener or like a, a set of templates that you go through, like to, to spark the conversation, depending on. So when I, when I walk up to a person, I just introduce myself. I explain what I'm doing and basically I use the context of the event to move into a conversation with them. So if it's a, a business event and there's a topic and there's an interesting topic, what do you think? And what are your, and you know, use the event, use your surroundings to, to, to add to your conversation. That's what I do. And it, it, it has helped me a lot. And what I al always do is it has worked for me when I walk up to people in informal events, like I see them at, at a, at a cafe or something like that, talking to some people and I join in the conversation, I do not talk about work. I'm not going to be like, Hey, I'm Ashwin and I'm a business coach and I do this and I do that. I just stop 
I just stop at my name and then we just start talking about the music or the drinks or the food and other kind of stuff um, that's happening in the country or, or, or the conversation that they were already having or like sports, anything else but work. Because I have a, I have a, a theory that in informal um, settings, people like to be informal and stay informal. They don't want people walking up to them and talk about work. You know, they call me up Monday morning, let's make an appointment, we can, call, we can talk about work but not Friday evening at nine, you know, it's, I had my week. So that's basically how I do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to first connect to your story a bit for Gregory, because I think like I should mention something very important, like all extroverts have introverts tendencies. And like, like for instance, one of the things like what introverts don't understand, like sending a message on LinkedIn or sending a private message or a text is just as daunting for an extrovert sometimes as an introvert. Even worse, for an introvert, it's sometimes easier because an introvert is like, they're going to process what they're going to say beforehand and actually send out a quality message. Whereas an extrovert is just used to talking and going up to a person <laughs> and just, and we don't use the right words and we get shut down on LinkedIn. So I think. For introverts, it's good to know that like in some cases for social media or through email or contacting with somebody who doesn't see your face and see that you're nervous or anything and you don't have to hide, you have time actually. Because in social media, if somebody sends you a LinkedIn message and you reply after two hours, like realizing it'd be weird, but on the internet, it's like you're probably busy, everybody's busy. So it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm actually waiting for a half a minute for you to respond because you're like shut down because you're introverted. So I think there's a very big advantage. And the second way I'm going to pressure Gregory is I learned networking to learning how to approach women. And this sounds funny, but this is, it's kind of the same thing. It's like also a little bit confidence. Like I'm going to give you one of the best tips, like there is, which is from double your dating. And the idea is that if you see like somebody who's like beautiful and you think this woman is beautiful and you're like, why well, I would love to talk. The best approach is not going up to her. The best approach is actually going up to a regular woman or not the finest or somebody who would, nobody would think you would be interested in and approaching that woman. First of all, that woman doesn't get approached that often. Secondly, the beautiful woman is going to be like, oh, wait a minute. So that guy doesn't always only look at looks. He also talks with other women and it might feel a little shallow, but in a business sense, it kind of works as well. If you go into a room and there's a room of entrepreneurs there, and one of the biggest entrepreneurs that you look up to is standing in the middle of the room, you don't go for that person straight away because everybody is gunning for that person the first, whenever they walk into the room. Instead, just go talk with other people and you might be surprised how much more interesting those people are than the person that you wanted to speak to in the first place. Yeah. And, and where I really figured this one out is when I went to San Diego and I started going to conferences and I would speak to volunteers. And sometimes the volunteers that I would meet at those conferences would be bigger and more respected in their fields back home than the international speaker that they would bring to the conference. And those are really like things that 
because it's all glitters and everything and everybody's like, oh, you have to have like speak with the A-list, A-list celebrities or with the A-list entrepreneurs or with the A-list everything. But sometimes you don't even need that. Sometimes you have, can have a great conversation with somebody who in your mindset, you, you've been at the event, but you never looked at them because you were too focused on, I have to meet this person. I have to speak to that person. Yeah. So from that context, I think it's kind of similar of when approaching women and approaching others at, at, a, at a business event. Agreed. Agreed. I'm not sure what reference this is, but maybe you know it. Shanluk is pulling in Nash. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to, we can do that another episode. <laughs> but we don't have a guest. We can, we can jump into do those kind of things. So actually, we, we do want to quickly use this as a stepping stone as well to, to the next topic, which mm -hmm. is somewhat related, but you've been a lecturer. You've mm -hmm. lectured like, uh, actually uh, for classes, but also as a guest lecturer. Mm -hmm. And of course, you've also mentioned business coach already, which is very interesting as well as really being a certified business coach. And we're going to do an over under after this, but it's our, for us, it would be also very interesting to know how much of a difference is it standing in front of a classroom, a lecture as, as a lecturer or guiding or coaching a business. So there's a big difference because I was never planning on being a lecturer for, for like educational institutions. But a friend of mine was writing her thesis and she needed help with, with some guidance. And I helped her for her bachelor thesis. And then she put my name into her thank you note at the, at the front of the thesis. She went to a intake interview for a master's program. And the dean of that educational institution saw my name in, in her thesis. And he asked her, who is this guy? And the reason why he asked that is because he was one of, he was a very good friend of my late uncle who was a a lecturer at Erasmus University, a certified accountant as well, worked there for many years and they were very good friends. So we knew the last name. And when my friend explained to him who I was, it, it, it became clear that he knew my father as well and all the brothers of my, of my father. So we told her, I need to speak to him. He needs to come into my office now. It was like that order in that ordery kind of fashion. And she called me up and I asked my father, who's this, who's this guy who's, who's ordering me to come into his office? And he said, yeah, we know him from, from when we were going to college in, in, in the Netherlands and they were also flocking during that time and their friendship was created in that, in, in that manner. And I asked him, should I go? He said, should I go, go in and listen to what he wants to talk about. And I went and he wanted me as a lecturer at his educational institution because he was trying to get people who were, who had studied at Erasmus University, University of Amsterdam, those kind of educational institutions. So I was like, I was not really a model student. So should I become a lecturer? But it, it was one of the, the most fun things I ever did. I did it for five years and I had a lot of fun the first three and the last two, it became too much of a job. And I'm going to explain why. The way I lectured um, those classes was very conversational. I, I would have PowerPoint slides. I would ask them if they had bought the book or, or the study material. And when they pulled up their hands, I would like, okay, that's, that's for reading up at home. Today, we're going to talk about the material. We're going to talk about the subjects and everything that's happening in the world. And we're going to relate it to what the material is about. And that, that was the way that I lectured. And the first three years, there were great conversations, man. Sometimes I would just stand in the back of the class and watch the students go at it against each other in discussions and talking about stuff. We watched videos. We had a great time. But in the 
last two years, there was a shift. The students are, were becoming too passive and they would not participate in the classes. So that would pull a lot of energy out of me as a lecturer. And that was the point where it wasn't fun anymore. So after two years, I was like, okay, this is not changing. And I tried, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to bring them into, but I don't know what it was. You, you basically had one or two or three people who would constantly be interacting, but it was not as it was before where it was the whole group and it was very fun. And sometimes I could easily step back and watch them openly debate it, each other. What, was there a significant difference in the demographics composition of the group so, or do you think it was more like generational or, you know, so how basically was it then? Yeah, basically it was the first group I had, the youngest, the youngest girl I had was 18 years old and the oldest guy I had was older than me. So at first, when I walked in, into that educational institution, they thought I was a student. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but there was a, a huge age gap in the class itself. And during the years, the age gap became smaller. It was like uh, 25 to 35. But I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, what happened and maybe in you're right. Maybe the situation in the country kind of diminished people's energy and, and motivation. And they just wanted to come to class and finish and go home. Maybe that would, that would, that played a role, but in business coaching, it's very different because business coaching, you are coaching an, an entrepreneur who, who comes to you. Of course you have your, your sales tra tra trajectory and you're trying to get people in as clients, but basically they make a decision that they want to be coached by you. So they bring a certain type of energy to the table. And sometimes the energy is not enough because they want something, but they're not willing to work for that something. And you have to change that mindset. And sometimes you have an, you have an entrepreneur that's just where you have to go, Hey, let's take it easy. You know, we're going to structure this and we're going to go from, from one step to another. And the difference is that there's a lot of, um, variety and types of businesses, types of people, but it's also on another level because you also get to talk when you're talking one-on-one -on -one to an entrepreneur, you're not talking about business alone because the personal situation always has effect on the business situation and vice versa. So you're talking it like a 360 kind of model about everything that's taking place in their life. In turn, affecting their business in turn, affecting their lives. So. It's uh, it's an whole, it, it's another ball game. It's really another ball game. Diego, are you ready for some overrunners? Yeah, let's go. I already, I think I, I wrote a few down as. Okay. So we, we can do three, three. So yeah. I think what we really want to do, this is of course a concept of Gary Vaynerchuk, somebody Diego and I both admire. And the idea is we're going to ask you or give you a certain topic and you can tell us whether it's underrated or overrated. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so I'm going to start first and we're going to keep it easy. It's something you talked about already. Uh, mm -hmm. Cold calls. Are cold calls underrated or overrated? Underrated. Do I have to explain or just? If you want to quickly elaborate, feel free to, feel free to elaborate. Um, yeah. because, um, I underestimated the, the results you could get from cold calling. If done in the right, I built, I built up my network through cold calling. That's a, that's an interesting approach to build up your network. Yeah. 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 All right. Next one for me, business studies overrated or underrated business studies underrated, 
underrated. I think you should, you should, every, every information, whether you've heard it before or you're, you're hearing it for the first time, it's going to add to your development. And whether you agree or don't agree, that also adds to your development. People underestimate that point. Proper sport management. Underrated. And I'm talking for, from, not, no, I'm not going to say Surinamese perspective because, um, we experience it in Holland as well. Underrated proper sports management is, and I'm going to, and I'm going to explain why this might, this might take a little bit, a little bit more time. I think in sports management nowadays, there are a lot of agencies that focus on the business side of it and not on the, uh, people side of it, because you're managing a person and it's not always about getting the best deal. It's also about managing a career, helping the, 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 the guy or girl take uh, appropriate decisions. Sometimes even disagreeing about, about the way to go. And that's of course the, the reason why certain agencies and certain uh, athletes are not meant for each other because the intentions are different, but, but proper sports management has to be 360. It has to be, um, about uh, your career. It has to be about the finances. It has to be about the commercial deals. It has to be about uh, your support system. It has to be about the decisions you, you make about concerning food, concerning social gatherings. What time are you going to sleep? Management is, is guiding an athlete to get the best out of their career. And it's not always, it's not only about money. On the topic of not only about money, stock investments, underrated or overrated? I'm not, I'm not that. I think underrated, but you need to do it in the right way. I think people dismiss it too often because they're afraid of it because they don't know what it's about. But you have a lot of ways you can, you can approach that that issue. You can go for the quick wins or you go, you can go for the long-term haul. If you do it in the right way, it can be very beneficial for you. So I think it's underrated. Okay. Let's show a little bit of a curveball. Reading books. Reading books is definitely underrated. We don't read enough nowadays. Everybody knows, of course, the, the, the big, the big entrepreneurs and the big business guys, you know, you see Warren Buffett reads, I don't know how many books a week and, and Jeff Bezos reads how many books a week. You know, just, just start with one book and finish it. Pick a, pick a, a topic that you would like to get better in, that you would like to have more information about, read that book and then evaluate how much value that book has added for you. And I underestimated the, the, the value of reading books, but then again, action coach forced me into, you have to read all these books before you can be a business coach. So I had to read them and man. The value was definitely there. So reading books is underrated. Speaking of action coach and books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have, you have one. Yeah. <laughs> you, okay. Okay. Because, okay. Let's, let's do Diego's yeah. question. Then I'm going to pull out two books and then you have to tell me which one I should finish first. Okay. Cool. Okay. This last one is a bit split. So underrated, overrated, overrated. Facebook as a company and Facebook as a platform. Facebook as a company or Facebook as a, that, that's a, that, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one. I think Facebook as a company is overrated because there is a lot of focus on, on Facebook, but it, there are a lot of, not, am I, am I saying it right? I think, no, I'm, 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 I'm saying it wrong as a company. They're doing a great job because they're, they're, they're making money. They're buying other platforms. I think it's overrated as a platform. It's underrated as a company because as a company, they're doing extremely well. It's overrated as a platform because there are a lot of other platforms 
much more innovative with a lot of, of value to add out there that we still do not know about. Even I don't know about, but I'm, I'm sure Jean-Luc has a lot. I, I hear Jean-Luc talk about a lot of platforms all the time. And I'm like, oh, damn, I got to read up on some stuff, man. <laughs> Can we do the mandatory? Plus, <laughs> Jean-Luc. You have to be. Yeah, because my final question was actually going to be about writing, but we skipped that one. Yeah. We know that you have actually have experience with writing as well. So, yes, you have to be on high. We're doing the mandatory high blood. You have to be on okay. You have to. I have to be on high. Yeah, that's that's another high that we do. No, no, no. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You will say Yeah. You will say specific. Yes. Yeah. So, so I have two books right here. Both books I've got on traction coach. So I'm quickly going to show you the first one, which is buying customers. Buying customers. I know that one. Yeah. Mandatory reading. And eat that frog, which is kind of also mandatory reading. So if okay. you have to pick between the two of these and for entrepreneurs that have not read a book or mm-hmm. fairly which one should you recommend? Basically, basically it's, it's an easy question because if you don't read, eat that frog first, and you're not going to finish, you're not going to finish reading my <laughs> No. <laughs> Eat That Frog is a very necessary book to read for your personal development of your character and your discipline. So you definitely need to read that book first. And Buying Customers is about growing your business. A lot of value in that book. So read that one afterwards. And quickly for the, on the topic of books, are there any books you're currently reading? Yes and no. I have a book um, open right now, but I'm not. I'm actually rereading How to Influence and, and Influence People. Yeah. I read it. I read that book a couple of years ago in, 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 when I was, was busy with my coaching training, but that book added a lot of value to who I am as a person, who I became as a person, my personal development. So I'm kind of rereading it to see what, what little concept tips, tricks, stuff I missed the first time. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm currently not reading any books right now, but I am planning to reread some books I've uh, read in the past few years, just to get, as you said, that other perspective with, you know, new, newfound interpretations, but currently I'm not reading anything. I'm trying to see my reading because I'm, I'm rereading, uh, Mark Shaver's known. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So nice. that's one of my favorite speakers we've been able to get to come to, well, we want to get him to share them next year when COVID dies down and you're allowed to fly speakers back in and we have an actual in-person event. Yeah, so kind of the speakers is one of the speakers that I'm looking most forward to, to actually coming here. And um, he's basically telling the story of the difference between being popular and being known. Like this is kind of a real mm-hmm. debate what's going on in the social media influencer space as well. Of course, have these influencers who are like really big on social and they're really popular. Yeah. And then there are the people that most people like you and me don't know, mm-hmm. but the influencers do know that. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think that's, that's from that perspective, it's really interesting to make that book as well. You know what? I, I have a, I have a, a, something I say a lot here in Suriname is like, everybody's going to ask, hey, do you know that person? And I'm going to be like, I, I know who he is, but I don't know him. You know what, you know what I mean? So I, I know who he is and what he does and which company he works for or, or something like, but I don't.
I think, yeah, I think the internet just gave way, but point. I eight, thought it was me. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, he is frozen on our screen, but point taken from Ashwin. We'll see if he gets back, but I think it happened around. Yeah, we, we kind of wrapped up everything already. We have some book recommendations. So if you recap, you are re rereading, what was it again? I'm rereading Known by Mark Schaefer. Known Mar by Mark Schaefer. And uh, Ashwin is rereading How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'm probably going to read either Persuasion uh, by Robert Kialdani or those two are kind of on the top of the shelf now, or I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. Two really good books. I do okay. recommend. I'm back. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm back. <laughs> we are just wrapping up. Yeah, just, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Recapping the book reading. Oh, okay. okay. Great. But now that you recap the book reading, Diego. What YouTube video would you recommend people watch after this video on listen to after this recording? That depends on which direction you would go. But first one that would come to mind if you had to get immediate knowledge on how business cycles and economies work would be by Ray Dalio how the economy works, right? Read Dalio, let me quickly look it up. Okay. Now, how the, yeah, how the economy works by Ray Dalio. How the economic machine works by Ray Dalio. That's the title. Hmm. It's a 30 minute video, but. 30 yeah. minutes is decent. Yeah. I'm going to push for a three hour video. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a series, then, yeah. <laughs> but you ask for a video. Yeah, that's so how about you, Ashin? If you if you were to have to recommend like entrepreneurs or young professionals one one video uh, on YouTube, what, what would it be? I would I would recommend them any video that that explains the start with why concept by Simon. It could be a video of Simon explaining it himself, or it could be a video that somebody else made explaining the book in a summary a version or something like that. But that video would give you some early concepts and would basically. I hope push you to read that book because I think that's an important book as well, but an important concept. Definitely. Yeah. So I want to push for <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience with Nafal, but I'm pretty sure that three hours will be too much of people's time. But if, if I would have to recommend one that kind of like completely changed my mindset and how I think of things, it definitely is. Nafal's appearance on the Joe Rogan experience, but to connect the both of us. Or just read his tweets from Storm from Twitter. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's gotta be a very lengthy experience as well. But I think what, what kind of connects, because I know Diego's a big Tom Bellevue fan and uh, Ashwin just mentioned Simon Sinek. One of the videos that if you haven't seen is definitely worth it, especially for our generation is the millennial question. Millennial question, which is basically an impactary interview with Simon uh, Sinek. That, that yeah. I think, one as well. Awesome. And then I guess I think to finally close this off, Ashwin, for the people who are listening, what can people expect for you in the short term and how can they find you, reach out to you? What's the best way to get? Oh, uh, wow. How can they reach out on me? I'm, I'm on, on Facebook and on Instagram, but that's not. 
um, on my uh, very serious platforms. On Facebook, I do share some some serious stuff uh, once in a while, but I'm also goofing off there. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. I use it a lot, so it's an active profile. You can find me there. What can we expect in the future? Actually, I'm I'm uh, lucky right now to work in a company, and my job is working on the company. So I'm 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 doing business development for a tech company who's based in the Netherlands. And we're expanding our, our operation in, in Suriname and in Guyana. So that's going to be an awesome journey. Uh, a lot of things coming up in the next year. And on the area of sports, especially football, um, the next year is going to be exciting as well. But I cannot say a lot right now. In January... We'll, um, we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in January, a lot will be uh, much clearer. And I guess everyone who tuned in for the live session, thank you guys as always being active in the comments. Thank you. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this uh, conversation with Ashwin, someone finally got someone back again. Uh, and yeah, the the last three episodes are already scheduled to release this week. I've kind of been stacking them and this one should be out on Saturday on the audio podcasting platform. So uh, then we should be good for closing the year off, Jean-Luc, and speaking of closing up. Good news for the people that watch live next week, there will be an episode. So it can happen December 14th. Like Diego said, this will be available on all streaming platforms, your favorite streaming platforms. You can also watch the rerun on Diego Amarani on YouTube. Actually, we want to thank you so much for being our guest. It was awesome having you, Diego. And as always, this was Social Confos. See you back next week. Same place, same place, same place, same time. Bye-bye.